0: This morning, scripture reading will come from Exodus 14:10 through 14. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the chi- and they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring up? Us up out of Egypt, is this not the word, the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us let us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today, for the Egyptians whom you see today. You shall see again, no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone this morning. Certainly glad to have an opportunity for my family and I to worship with you. As I mentioned in class this morning, I feel like we have dual membership here. Every time we have visited here, every time we have been with you in some capacity, you've always made my family and I feel very welcome. and We're just so appreciative of the relationships that we've built here. I'm so glad that you've given us Uh, the opportunity to be with you this morning. When Tim asked me if I would speak this morning, I asked him if there was anything in particular that he wanted me to uh, preach on. He said, just pick your favorite sermon. I said, I'm not sure if my judgment's going to be very good in that. He said, well, pick Charlotte's favorite sermon. So this is Charlotte's favorite sermon. If you have any problems with that, she's right there on the front wearing the red sweater. But what I do want to speak on this morning is Red Sea experiences. Now, most of you are familiar with the actual Red Sea experience, but I, I tend to think there are some things in life that we may qualify as experiences similar to what we read about in Exodus 14. But in Exodus 14, again, we have the actual Red Sea experience. That is where, if you remember Israel, the children of Israel are being led out of bondage. Moses is leading them out. And they are headed toward the Red Sea. And they get there and then they look back and they see the Egyptian army coming after them. And when I say the Egyptian army is coming after them, they're not telling them, hey, you forgot your suitcases or let let us tell you how much we're going to miss you. They were coming after them. And they weren't happy. And as the children of Israel, as they look around, they see that there's no place to go. In other words, they are in a hopeless and helpless situation. So what is your reaction to Red Sea experiences? And what I mean is those situations where as you look at where you are and you begin to think, you see no logical way out of it. You're, you're going through your mind and you're, and you're trying to figure out the way out of whatever situation you're in and there's just no logical way Out of that, do you look to God during those situations? Do you look to your family? Do you look to your friends? Do you give up and give in? Or do you buckle down and plow forward? Well, here's what the Israelites did. And this is something that we may not remember as much that they did. This is backwards, isn't it? Let me see. I'm going to figure this out. There we go. In Exodus 14, verse 10, we see the Israelites cried out to the Lord. In verse 10, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now that's what they should have done. And hopefully that's what we will do when we find ourselves in these situations That would be the first thing to do. So they did cry out to the Lord. We can give them credit for that. But where was their faith as they were crying out to the Lord? Verse 11 and 12, they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this not the word we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. Think about where their faith was when they see themselves in this difficult situation. Remember, they've been crying out to the Lord. The Lord heard their cries and sent Moses to lead them out of this slavery that they were experiencing. Now, as they're crying out to the Lord, they're saying, Why didn't you just leave us back there where things were good? Where was their faith? They were crying out to the Lord, but again, where was their faith? You know, sometimes we pray and then lash out when our prayer is not immediately answered. Sometimes we give up and we think, well, God must not really care. I've been praying about this and uh, I don't see any answer to this. Does God really care? Of course, that reminds me of Jesus in Mark chapter 4. Verses 38 through 40, and we see the uh, apostles that were there with him. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You have this storm there. You have this difficult situation that they're in. And as they see what's happening, as the disciples, the apostles that are on the boat with Jesus, as they see what's going on, they wonder if Jesus even cares. And Jesus' response to them is, why are you so fearful? How is it that you don't have faith? He was there with them. This is what I think of whenever I think when we pray and and, and we don't see an immediate response if we begin to wonder if God cares. But you see, Jesus tells us the power of having faith in prayer. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 21 and 22, Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. There's the power of faith in prayer. Of course, our faith isn't merely in the act of prayer. We understand our faith is in the one to whom we're praying. Our faith needs to be in God, not in what we are doing, but our faith needs to be in the one who does control these situations. We have faith in God, which we see it's impossible to please him without that faith. In Hebrews eleven verse six, it's impossible without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must we must know that God cares. We must know that God's in control. And we must know that if we have that faith, that we can please him, but also that he will reward those who are diligently seeking him. So back to the Israelites as they're in this Red Sea experience. They're in this situation that there's no logical way out of. They can't go forward. They can't go backwards. They're surrounded and the Israelites cried out to God but then they blamed Moses for what they thought was about to happen. But then Moses responded just watch. Now I'm not sure what translation you're reading from. Just watch is the Robert Oran translation. I I don't Recommend that very highly, but still that in my mind is what, what Moses is saying here. In verses 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace you see, there's the difference there. We see the difference in Moses and the Israelites, and we see the, the difference in Moses' faith and the faith or the lack of faith the Israelites had. See, Moses' faith was totally and completely in God. Again, at verse 14. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The Lord will fight for you. If, you see, if the Lord is fighting for any of us, You can't lose. If the Lord is fighting for you, you cannot lose. I think of Romans 8, verses 31, or verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? In other words, if God is for us, who cares? Who is against us? If God is for us, it doesn't matter who is against us. Are we living in a way that we can say that God is for us, that God is fighting for us. If so, that we don't have to worry about who may be against us. But as we think about this moment, this Red Sea moment, this Red Sea experience, you know, God doesn't just show up during these Red Sea experiences. He's not back in a back room somewhere, just waiting, and then as soon as the Israelites call out for him, that's when he makes his appearance, and that's when he comes to the rescue. That's That's not how God works either. You see, He was with the Israelites day and night in their journey. In Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, "...the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night." He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. God was always there with them. It wasn't that they had to call out to Him from a great distance and He had to race there to get there to be able to save them. God was there with them. And He is always with us when we are faithful. If we are walking in the light, if we've obeyed the gospel and we are walking in the light and have fellowship with Him, then he's not going to leave us. He is there with us. Just as he would tell Joshua as they're beginning to go in and take the land, uh, Joshua, he told, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave or forsake you. Psalm 37, verse 25, the psalmist there says, I've been young and now am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his descendants begging bread. And then one of my favorite passages, in Hebrews thirteen five and 6, we see, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Just like we said earlier, if God is for us, who cares? Who is against us? What, what can they do to us? If God is for us, you see, that should be a great source of comfort to us in good times and in bad times. That if we're faithful, we can be confident that God is there with us. So, God was with the Israelites, and He had a reason for them being in that situation. If you'll continue on in Exodus 13, as they're heading that direction, we see there's a reason that God wanted them to be exactly where they were. And in verses 17 and 18, then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. Now, think about that. God didn't take them the way that was closest. He could have. He could have taken them the easy way. God didn't lead them by the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you move into chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi Piharath between Migdal and the sea, opposite baal Zephon, and you shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children... Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are bewildered by the land, the wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. You're starting to see the reason that God had them there to begin with. And then in verses 17 and 18, I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. It all came down to glorifying God. This is how God is going to show who He is. He's going to show who He is and He has led them this way for this reason. So there was a reason. Now as we apply this to ourselves... I try to be really, really careful and not say that God has a reason for every single thing that happens in our lives. I try to be really careful with that because one, I don't know. I don't know uh, the way God's mind works, especially as he is in control of every detail of our lives. But I think of it this way, sometimes our trials and sometimes our experiences like this are because of bad choices. I mean, sometimes we find ourselves in situations because of choices that we ourselves have made. Maybe we have managed money poorly, and maybe that's why we're having some financial difficulties. Maybe we haven't been the mother or father uh, or the son or the daughter or the brother or sister that God wants us to be, and maybe that's why we're having those family struggles. You know, sometimes we just make bad decisions, but we can still learn from them and glorify God with how we react to those situations. I think about, and I don't remember if this was Will Rogers or if this was Dale Carnegie, and they probably both had some similar story uh, about this, but about the businessman who had had this great success, and as he was being interviewed, someone asked him to what he attributed this great success, and he said, well, it's good decisions. And I said, well, how did you come about these good decisions? He said, experience. He said, well, how did you come by this experience? And he said, bad decisions. You see, we can learn from these things and we can move forward. Sometimes we are responsible for the situation that we find ourselves in. But how do we react? We can still glorify God by taking ownership of those mistakes, repenting, asking for forgiveness if necessary, and accepting those consequences. But then sometimes... Sometimes our trials are opportunities to show others the power and the majesty of God. And that's exactly what this situation at the Red Sea was. You see, they weren't at the Red Sea because they got lost. And they weren't at the Red Sea for any other reason than God led them there for His glory. You see, maybe your Red Sea experience is the same thing. Maybe it's possible. Maybe that's an opportunity for you to show others the power and the glory of God. In James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 James writes, my brethren count it all joy when you fall into various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete lacking nothing. So much that we can learn from the situations we find ourselves in. So much more that we can learn and mature and grow into what God wants us to be. Through these trials, sometimes we should at least become the person God wants us to be, perfect and complete through those struggles of life. See, struggling through and remaining faithful, that's going to strengthen your faith. If you can struggle through and still remain faithful, your faith is going to be stronger. But then, as we think about uh, how God came to the Israelites' rescue here, you know, you hear that God works in mysterious ways, and that's True, and God works in obvious ways, and that's true. And we're going to see a combination of these things as we uh, look at what happened in Exodus 14, verses 13 through 30. We're going to read through this passage. If you, if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there with me. But you'll notice that God did more than just part the Red Sea. There were, there were things going on here that I think are an encouragement to all of us. Next is chapter 14 starting in verse 13. I can't see as well as I used to. And Moses said to the people, "Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace." And the Lord said to Moses, "Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward." But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one, and it gave light by night to the other, so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back "...by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud." And he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that they came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. And you think about all the things that, that God did here. Some were uh, mysterious ways. Some of them were obvious ways. Parting the Red Sea was the most obvious, I would say. But He did more than just part the sea. You know, two of my favorite verses in this whole passage, uh, and in, in the ones that are the most encouraging to me, are verses 19 and 20. Where we see the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went between them. The pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness to the one and it gave light by night to the other. So that the one did not come near the other all that night. Have you ever seen a parent or a big brother? or a best friend, or, or whoever it may be, and, and they see someone who is in trouble, and you see them walk over and stand between the danger and their child, or, or whatever the case may be. And you see, it, it's that attitude of, if you want to get to them, you've got to come through me first. Is that not what's happening here with the angel of God who went before them and, and stood between them and the Egyptians? And from my understanding, my my study of of, of this, the angel of God, the angel of the Lord is the second person of the Godhead. This This is God who is coming between the Egyptians and his children. They were never more safe than they were at that point. They had never been more safe at that point than with God standing between them and the Egyptians. You think about how safe they were. And then Moses stretched out his hand And God parted the Red Sea. And this was at God's command. This wasn't Moses' command. This wasn't the Israelites. Uh, God parted the sea whenever he was ready. We too have to keep this in mind in our Red Sea experiences. Sometimes we will pray and, and God is not ready to answer at that moment. God will answer whenever he is ready. We have to remember that. But then here's something that. Again, one of those mysterious ways. God hindered the Egyptians' progress in verse 24 and 25. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. And He troubled the army of the Egyptians and He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the face of Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then we see that he finished the job in verses 26 through 30. There is where he brings the water back. And we see that not one of the Egyptians that was pursuing them was able to reach them. Now you think about the the things that were going on here. And the Israelites probably were not aware of some of those things as they were happening. Some of those things were happening behind them as they're trying to make it out. They more than likely don't see God troubling the Egyptians by taking the wheels off of their carts, seeing those things that God is doing for them. Now, they may have been made aware later, just like we're aware because we have the revealed Word of God that tells us this. Maybe they've been made aware later of that, but as we think about this, I want you to remember, you probably don't see everything God is doing to help you during your Red Sea experiences There are things that He is doing that you have no clue that He is doing. That It may not be readily obvious to you. It may not seem like an answered prayer at the time, but God is working and you don't know how He is doing it. We need to remember this. It should bring us encouragement that He is there. But then we see in verse 31 that the Red Sea experience brought the Israelites closer to God. Verse 31, thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. It, it brought them closer to him. Will you let your Red Sea experience draw you closer to God? Or will you let it come in between you and God? It, the choice is going to be yours. You get to decide if it's going to drive you away from God or if it's going to bring you closer to to God. Many people will get discouraged and lose faith in God and His plan for their lives. And a lot of times it's because people misunderstand God's plan for our lives. I know so many people who will think God has everything meticulously planned out as to where I want to work, where I need to work, who I need to marry, what I need to do, and, and everything. And they think that God has a detailed plan for them to follow, and this is the way for them. To be faithful, but that's not God's plan. Let me tell you God's plan for you, if you don't know. It's, it's very simple. It's very easy to understand. Here's God's plan for each and every one here. He wants you to be saved for all eternity. That's God's plan for you. And there are so many different things that you can do in your life and still remain faithful. You don't have to do certain things... Uh, certain jobs or, or live in certain places uh, to be following God's plan. God wants you to be saved for all eternity. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 is where we read that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If He didn't want this, if He didn't desire for all men to be saved, then Calvary would be famous for something else today. Maybe there'd be a Roman marker for some other historical event or or, or maybe there'd be something else, but Calvary wouldn't be famous for Jesus' crucifixion today if God didn't desire all men to be saved. You see, this morning, there may be many things that you're suffering and we want you to know that God is a God of comfort, that God can deal with every single problem that you have. But understand this, if you're lost, That is your most pressing problem right now. That is what God wants you to fix right now. God wants you to bring that to Him. God wants you to be saved more than He wants you to be successful or or popular or even healthy. He wants you to be saved and He has done what we could not do. He provided the sacrifice that would take care of those sins. He provided the sacrifice of His Son and salvation comes only through Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14 verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 verse 12 there we read, salvation is not in any other for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved. You see, salvation comes only through Jesus. That's God's plan for you. is for you to be saved and to spend eternity with Him. If you're here this morning, and you've never obeyed the gospel, maybe, maybe you have a faith in Jesus. It does begin there. You see, our salvation begins with believing that Jesus is the Son of God. It begins there, but it doesn't end there. You see, we must believe that He died on the cross for our sins, believe that He was resurrected, believe that He can forgive us for our sins. But if we believe that, and we believe in the authority that He has as the Son of God, then we're going to do The other things He commanded as well. Luke chapter 13 verse 3, we see that we have to repent or we'll perish. We can't stay in our sins. If we believe Jesus is the Son of God, we have to repent of our sins and turn away from those sins, turn toward God. Matthew chapter 10, we see that we must confess Him before men. We have to confess our faith. We can't be ashamed to tell the world that Jesus is the Son of God. But then also we see in Mark 16, verse 16, Jesus himself said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. As we look through the book of Acts and you see what people did to become Christians in the first century, you see that that baptism was an immersion in water that was for the forgiveness of sins. So if you are here this morning and you have not been baptized for the remission of your sins, you still haven't had those sins washed away. We encourage you to make that right. We encourage you as we, as we um, extend the Lord's invitation. But maybe you're here and you have obeyed the gospel. And the Lord added you to his church, but maybe you haven't been faithful in some way. Maybe there's something you need to make right. And it may be something you can do where you are. There may be something only God knows about that you need to ask him to forgive you. Maybe it involves other people. Maybe it involves uh, some sort of a public statement. Uh, Whatever the case may be, we're extending the Lord's invitation to you. And if uh, if you're subject to that Lord's invitation at this time, we invite you to come while we stand and while we sing.